Welcome to the Rounds to Residency podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, get clinical rotation advice and tips to prepare for your externships and residency in healthcare. We interview preceptors and physician educators who will prepare you for your rotation and improve your clinical experience. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Today, we're continuing with our student mini-series and also continuing on with some topics we discussed a bit in season two of this show, as well as the Medical Nemesis podcast. And that are some of the health disparities, racial inequalities, and different topics that are really being brought to the forefront now that might not have been so much in past years. And today, we actually have a great student here, Samia Hamid, that is going to help us discuss these topics from his point of view, which is a little different than some we've done in the past, like with Dr. Nicole Washington and some of our other great guests. So, Sammy, I'd like to bring you on the show and have you tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Chase, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Sammy Hamid. I am a fourth-year medical student who is in UTMB right now. I just finished up my master's degree from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine between my third and fourth year. And so I'm planning on applying med-peds for residency this year and hopefully trying to match somewhere out of state. Been in Texas my whole life. Been born and raised in the same 60-mile radius of Leak City and Houston. And so I'm a little bit ready to get out of my comfort zone and break the shell of Texas. Congratulations on getting that additional education and degree as well. And med-peds, that's a pretty high bar, isn't it? Usually the dual degrees or dual residencies seem to be very competitive. So really interested to hear also just how you're going about applying for that particular dual residency. Thank you very much. I think one of the things that's really important to me is I want to be able to practice global health. And uh, one of the things that I aspire to do with my future career is to work in low resource settings and having the ability to treat anybody and anyone that walks in the door that needs your help is an invaluable skill, and especially in those settings. And so I think MedPeds is a really great training environment for people that want to do that because you can walk into a clinic and feel like you can make an impact on whatever it is that's going on in the clinic because you're well-trained to take care of pretty much anybody. And so that's kind of my reasoning behind it. Hopefully afterwards I can pursue a little oncology and bring cancer care to low and middle income countries. But that's not necessarily the focus of this podcast, I guess, right now. <laughs> no, but high aspirations. I really like that you're going for that and you have some great goals ahead of you and really hope that you are going to be successful in those. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Chase. Thank you very much. <laughs> I know we have a couple of pretty large topics here to discuss, but we're going to try to condense them as much as possible, I suppose, really just go over the most important changes that we've seen in recent months and recent years, and also some of your personal experiences. And one of those topics that we had previously mentioned was the equity of the LGBTQ community and sort of the differences in how physicians and students are all interacting with this community, something that was vastly ignored in the past. So how do we approach this topic from the student audience? So I think one of the most important things that I was exposed to in medical school. And this actually happened on pretty early on in my medical education, which I was very proud of for UTMB. There were a few people at our university that had, I think, joined the national 
I think it's a national organization of the allies of medicine. And they started a chapter at UTMB during, I think it was the year before I started medical school. So it was a first year who was a year above me who started it. And then when I was a first year, I was able to participate in it. And really what it taught you was how to use the correct language to facilitate an open conversation between you and your patient, specifically a patient who comes from a diverse background, potentially like that of an LGBT community, how you use words instead of, oh, how is your husband or how is your partner? And it's more inclusive because it's not implying any kind of bias or any kind of some sort of like your own opinion on what a normal relationship might be. And I think those kind of small changes in medical education are what we really need to strive for, especially including a community that has been largely oppressed by what has been a medical community. When you are functioning in like a medical aspect, you want to be able to treat your patient with as much dignity and respect as you possibly can. However, if you can't even make that first connection because you end up using the wrong pronoun or you end up making some sort of biased statement towards them, then you already tear that bridge down before you can even start. And you're missing out on an opportunity to provide care to somebody who really needs it and is being neglected by other parts of society as well. And I think as a physician, you need to make sure that you're able to provide that care because you are the first line of defense for a person's health you are the person that's there to help make sure that their health is taken care of. And so your job is to make sure that you can provide that for them in the least harmful way possible. The alliance that you mentioned, is that the Medical Student Pride Alliance? So I'm not sure if that's what the full name is. I've just always heard of it as the Allies of Medicine. And they've got a badge that I think it's a national badge. I'm not entirely sure. It's like a little pin that you can put on your white coat after you've done the course. Okay, great. So that'll be two different resources that we can add to the show notes as far as learning more about the community for students. Yeah, no, I think it might be a UTMB thing, it looks like, which is actually even cooler (laughs) (laughs) if that really is was a grassroots thing here at UTMB. Awesome. So that is actually very useful information for all students and physicians, because even, for instance, I have many friends in the community, but the way I interact with them as friends is different than the way you'd interact with a new patient that you've never met before. How do you break that barrier? How do you make sure that they feel comfortable around you? And just the difference in the terminology as well. So that is completely different training than your normal day-to-day interactions might be. Absolutely. I think As you mentioned, having friends from that community really does help because at least they are there when you're in a non-formal setting to help you correct yourself when you're making a mistake, which you might not even recognize. Those are the kind of things where, as a physician, you need to be okay with not knowing something and also approaching it with like an open mind and saying that, okay, I may not know this and I may make a mistake, but I'm going to act in a way that at least when I make a mistake, I will be apologetic, I will be sincere, I will be able to make that connection, even if I did make a mistake to begin with, and try and rectify whatever situation it is that I make from that point on. When somebody tells you, oh, that's not my pronoun, then from that point on, you make it a point, just like how you remember somebody's name, right? You remember a patient's name, and so the next time you see them, you don't walk in and you you forget and get flustered at what their name is, 
to make that strong connection with somebody. You remember their name, just like you would remember their pronoun. And I think those kind of subtle, small differences help create and foster, you know, a therapeutic relationship with your physician. And those are the kind of small changes you can make. So you might make a mistake the very first time you meet one of your transgender patients, but that's okay. If you make a mistake and your mistake doesn't come from a place of hatred, and then you build on it from that point forward, and you make sure that you don't say make that same mistake again and again, that's what I think helps push this forward and makes it so that people feel more accepted. Maybe a good comparison would be you walk into a patient's room and his name is Robert, and he says the first time you meet, oh, just call me Bob. But if you keep calling him Robert afterwards, he's going to think you don't care about him. You're not paying attention to him. It's the same sort of distinction, I guess, just respect for your patient's wishes on how they wish to be addressed. Absolutely. That's a perfect analogy. That's absolutely perfect. (laughs) Did you know you can find and schedule your own clinical rotations? Students can reach out to preceptors nationwide and schedule their own rotations. You can even refer a friend, earning you credit towards clinical externships of your choosing. Go to findarotation.com for more information. That's Find a Rotation, your medical and healthcare clinical rotations platform. Moving on to the next topic, and this is one that we did cover a little bit with Dr. Washington. I believe it was episode one of season two. So for the audience, you can feel free to go back and check that episode out. And that is really around some of the health disparities, the implicit biases within medicine, within the education institute, but also within the health institutes in medicine. And I mean, where do we even start with this one? It's such a complex topic. Yeah, so I think my real passion for health disparities kind of came about during my master's program when I really started to dive deeper into what basically plagues a lot of high-income countries and basically throughout the world. And we think of this kind of like as a U.S. problem. And that's because a lot of the research does come from the U.S. And that's also because we have the largest disparity because we don't have access to uniform health care, right? Our system is based primarily on how much wealth a person has. And unfortunately, what basically happens is that the people who don't have the ability to afford health care get kind of swept under the rug and then experience worse outcomes. And I think that as a country, it's really sad to see that we might perform really, 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 really well for when you have a disease that's killing you and you have money to treat that disease and you can get quadruple bypass surgery and, you know, you don't have to worry about paying the hospital bills. But when you have to get quadruple bypass surgery and then worry about the hospital bills, the amount of stress that that causes you in your lifetime you know, is not going to positively affect your health outcome. And I think those kind of subtle things are where public health and where social determinants of health and we're learning about all these things and medical education really becomes an asset to you as a physician. Trying to help people at their, what we call most upstream determinant of their health. So you want to basically, the analogy is that you're sitting at the bottom of a river and you're pulling people out that are drowning in this rapid river, right? But what you don't realize is that there's a guy at the top of the river kicking people in. So really what you should be doing is going and figuring out why the guy is kicking the people into the river in the first place. And so I think that's what that upstream determinant of health is, figuring out what the biggest root cause of a lot of the disparities are and tackling that issue is how we can really make a difference in the health of a lot of these underrepresented groups. 
And so this kind of plays into that whole implicit bias thing. Is that one of the most upstream causes of the health disparities that we see? And I would argue that it plays a very substantial role because number one, we're not doing anything to tackle it because we don't even realize it's there. And that's why it's got that name, implicit bias. So our ability to understand that topic a little bit more and to kind of delve a little bit deeper into that topic, that is what's going to open up a door for us to tackle it and solve it and hopefully be able to make some differences in it long term. It seems so difficult because unless you are studied in that particular topic, it's often very difficult for you to see that particular topic. And it doesn't matter what the topic is, but even more so when we're talking about something called implicit bias, when the implicit nature of it is the unconscious nature of it, unless you are studying and seeing the research showing that this is caused by this, or there is a strong correlation of this and that due to this bias, a lot of people just fail to see it in themselves, fail to admit it, think there's a negative stigma if they are to admit it to themselves, and therefore no change is made. That just seems like such a barrier to cross at this point. What do we need to do? Do we need to educate physicians and students on this a little bit more? Are they mostly there and it's more the public that need to be educated more on this topic? There's just so much backlash, especially in recent months, to even using the term. It's, again, such a, a huge barrier. So... I think that question's tough to answer in general for many different reasons. And I think a lot of times what that kind of leads to is me giving my opinion as opposed to me basing this in some kind of factual evidence. And so I'll give you my opinion as basically the preface to is that long spiel. But basically what I think is that if we really want to tackle these issues I think Dr. Washington said it best when she said that we need to just have conversations about it. We need to be open and honest and have conversations about it, no matter how tough those conversations might be. At least when you have a conversation about it, you recognize that you're acknowledging it. And that's the first step to at least making a change is that if you realize that you're making some sort of biased decisions. I think that our generation of physicians is going to be more in tune with that than any generation of physicians before us. And I think that's a very positive thing. I don't see it being an issue maybe 200, 300 years from now. But in order to get to that point 200, 300 years from now, we need to go through the tough growing pains of right now. And I think that's going to be what's going to be the hardest part is getting people all on the same page right now. And moving forward, how do we get people to start recognizing these subtle, implicit things that they're doing? And that requires a lot of training. It requires a lot of self-reflection. And it requires a lot of dedicated time to look inward and be like, what am I doing as a physician to harm my patients that I don't even realize that I'm doing? And those kind of conversations are not only tough to have with other people, but also tough to have within yourself. Because that requires you to say, I'm making a mistake. And as a physician, do we ever want to admit that we make a mistake? No, right? Because that is a sign of weakness, like you just mentioned. And I think those are all cultural changes that need to happen within medicine as a whole. I think you bring up a good point that hopefully in 200, 300 years, this won't be an issue. But we also thought that, you know, 50 years ago, 
this wasn't going to be an issue in 50 years from now, and it still is. So I guess the problem we need to maybe really focus on now is not hitting that stagnation again, as we have in the past, to get past the backlash that some people portray and the misinformation out there. And like you said, maybe the most important thing is to ask ourselves, okay, what am I doing that I could do better? What are some of the mistakes I'm probably making that I'm not recognizing? Or ask a peer that you trust their opinion. Hey, do you notice anything in me that I could be doing better? Have you noticed that I've interacted in a way that might be inappropriate or that I can benefit from some change or my patients can benefit from some change? So just being aware of that and constantly improving, I suppose, is that little personal addition that we can all strive for, for betterment. That is exemplified in the example that we gave with the LGBTQ community as well, right? When we have friends that are of that community, we always ask their advice to make sure that, you know, are we doing whatever it is that we're doing correctly? And it's the same way with our communities of underrepresented folks in medicine. That's the kind of thing that we should strive for is to make it so that we are including them. And in the conversation of including them, we are talking about the issues that they're facing, right? Imagine having a conversation talking about African-Americans in a room full of nobody that's African-American, right? It seems kind of bizarre, but it happens all the time. And so at least when you include somebody in the conversation and that person is helping you make that difference in whatever conversation is that you're having, makes a huge difference to the outcomes of the conversation, I think, because you at least get insight into what that person is going through, whatever it might be. That kind of goes along with what we were discussing before and what Dr. Washington brought up with not just inviting someone to the table, but making sure they participate and they're welcome in the conversation at the table and saying that just having someone of a different race or belief or whatever the categorization might be there isn't enough. You actually need to have active input, active interactions, and learn from each other for that sort of important change to be made. To reference, hopefully everybody's heard that episode. It's a wonderful episode if you haven't taken a listen to it. But Dr. Washington gives a phenomenal analogy of a crawfish boil where, you know, you invite somebody to a crawfish boil, but if you don't sit down with them and they've never eaten crawfish before and you don't teach them how to unshell a crawfish and eat the meat from a crawfish, then really you're not really making them feel included in the actual event of the crawfish boil, right? The crawfish is a side dish to the social aspect of interacting with everybody and talking with everybody at a crawfish boil. And so if you don't include them in that conversation, did you really include them? You just invited them. And I think that when you invite people to large panels of discussion, right, as a good leader, if you want to be a leader in medicine, and I think that, you know, people that are listening to this podcast, I hope that we're inspiring you to be leaders in medicine, right? The future generation, those are the people that are going to be at the heads of these committees, hopefully moving forward. And those are the people, those are the same exact people that we need to make sure learn these skills of inclusion. When you see somebody of a different or unique, diverse background at a large event, at an event where you're learning about that particular cultural background. Make sure to talk to that person, see what it is that they have to offer. Don't make your own assumptions about what you could glean from those different backgrounds. You need to go and get that information for yourself from the source. And I think that's kind of where we need to start heading 
as a society with our leaders taking the first step towards that, pushing themselves towards being the people that are learning about these groups and not trying to be passive in their learning, be more active in their learning. That's something I say all the time on the Medical Nemesis podcast. You have to do active learning or you're not going to make any changes. Well, I love this topic. I love these discussions. I'm loving this student mini-series too, because in season one, being that the name is the One Minute Preceptor, we really focus on preceptors teaching us clinical education topics. Season two, we branched out into clinical education, but also social cultural changes that are going on in clinical medicine. Now with season three in this student mini-series, I'm finding that we can learn a lot from the students as well. Students can be the preceptors. The students can be the teachers to help other students learn and experience what they're going through right now. So I think this has been a great topic. I really appreciate you coming on and I hope the best for your future endeavors. They're really great endeavors. And I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Of course, I appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you. And obviously this isn't going to be solved by one 20 minute podcast on Saturday morning, but I think there's a lot of discussion to be had, which is the real important part that we are out here at least bringing the topics to the forefront and we have an opportunity to really discuss something like this on a national level. I think that's where we're heading. And I think that's a positive, very positive thing to have in our future. So next generation of physicians have an opportunity to work in an environment where they don't feel like they're being attacked or they don't feel like they're being not well represented. And those are the kind of things that we should be striving for as a society. So I think we're on the right path. (laughs) Agreed. And is there any resource or a way to contact you that you'd like to share with the audience? You're more than welcome to contact me through my UTMB email. I'll go ahead and send that to you and then you can post it on the webpage. Feel free to anybody to reach out or talk to me. I am more than happy to have any discussions. If I said something incorrect or if I did anything that might have offended somebody, please reach out to me and correct me. I have no shame in being wrong. There is no shame in being wrong when you don't know something. It's when you know something and you continue to do it incorrectly that you should feel shame. And right now, if I said something incorrect, then I apologize. And I'd be happy to hear from somebody if there's something that I need to rectify or change. So, Do you also do tutoring? Yes. So I am a tutor for med school coach for step one and step two. (laughs) So if they wanted to reach out to you via email and maybe set something up later on for a tutoring session, that can be arranged as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would give you both my emails. One's personal, one's the school email. The personal one would be best for contacting me for, I guess, anything that's not like research or school related. And then if you want to contact me about anything that we talked about on the podcast or schedule a tutoring session, the other email probably a little better. Got it. All right. Well, thank you again, Sammy, for coming on the show. All right. Thank you, Chase. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. The Rounds to Residency podcast is powered by Med School Coach. To access Med School Coach services, like USMLE tutoring or residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time.